Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know who I don't know you or where you are from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Thanks, Sue. Helpful uh, to have the uh, passage open this morning. Uh, Luke 13, uh, in case you missed it, uh, it is there. And we're continuing uh, to walk with Jesus uh, from the north up in Galilee down to Jerusalem. You may remember that uh, in chapter 9, Luke records for us that after Peter declared that he was the Christ, that not that Peter was the Christ, that Jesus was the Christ, uh, the son of the living God. He was the king that they were waiting for, that they were hoping for. Jesus at that point starts heading to Jerusalem. And on the way, uh, he teaches uh, about all sorts of things to do with living the life of discipleship. And this morning we've got to uh, this particular thorny little passage. So let's dive in. I don't know if you've noticed, uh, in the media, uh, Christianity is often portrayed as divisive. Yes, that uh, to, uh, to have a, uh, a connection, to have an allegiance to something that excludes others is seen as something uh, that divides. To have a concept, an idea that you have those who are in and those who are out. Uh, is something that is seen as undesirable and fairly negative in our community. Have we seen this? Or is it just me? A few nods around the place. Uh, Can I say, on the basic premise, I agree. There was a man by the name of C.S. Lewis. Many of you will know him. He's the one who wrote the Narnia books, you know, The Lion, The Witch and The Wardrobe. He wrote lots of other things as well. And one of the things he wrote was a little uh, a talk that he gave to a graduating class, and it was called The Inner Ring. Let me read to you a little bit. He says, uh, he, he was writing in the days before political correctness, so ladies, he is talking to you as well. He said, I believe that all men's lives at certain points, and in many men's lives at all periods between infancy and extreme old age, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the local ring, like that's the, the inner ring kind of idea, and the terror of being left outside. 
This desire is one of the great permanent mainsprings of human action, one of the chief motives of your life. Think about it. We all love to belong, don't we? Some of us know quite brutally what it feels like to be left out. You know, I was, uh, I've, I've shared my grief, bared my soul with you many times before. I was the, I was the fat kid at school uh, who was not known as the sporting god. Uh, and so when the, when, the, when the PE class, you know, you get the two athletic genii at the front and they get to pick who they want in their team, I was always there at the end sort of thinking I'd like to be anywhere else. Ter- parents, don't do this to your class, can I just tell you? Don't do this. Uh, and that, that feeling of actually just being, I still remember it. It's deeply wounded me. <laughs> anyway, but we want it, don't we? Maybe you're at work and you want the boss to at least acknowledge that your work has value. You crave for acknowledgement. Maybe it's uni and you've got the, the group that you'd love to be invited to join. Or the cool kids at school. We know what it's like to be either on the inside or the outside. We have these things, this desire to belong. And those who are on the inside, they will sometimes patronise, you know, those on the outside. Sometimes they just ignore them. Sometimes they actively exclude them. Sometimes it goes as far as to persecute and to kill. And this is why people say, when you have these rings, when you have ins and outers, it's bad, it's bad. And can I say, I I agree. But I would like to suggest this morning that even though Christianity is exclusive, it is actually the most inclusive of all religions or philosophies. Let me underline that. Even though Christianity is radically exclusive, I'll just up it a bit, it is actually the most inclusive of all religions or philosophies because alone it actually provides the basis for mutual respect and care for those who are outside as well as those who are inside. It gives better answers than our secular tolerance that's out there. If you don't believe me, just go to the ones who are preaching the doctrine of tolerance and disagree with them and see what happens. They won't embrace you, let me tell you that. If you disagree with their dogma, you will be excluded. And that is what they are doing to Christianity. So if you're here this morning as a Christian, I hope you're interested to see what Jesus says about this. If you're here perhaps this morning as someone investigating Christianity, think about how you uh, think about belonging and how you see those who don't belong. Got four uh, points. Uh, They're not there on your outline because Kathy went on holidays, didn't she? Okay, so we have these four. An unanswered question. A stark warning, a gracious host, and transformed by an invitation. Let's dive in. Unanswered question. Now, our passage starts with what is actually a common, uh, commonly, what was a commonly debated question at the time. 
So a man comes along to Jesus. Jesus traveling through all the towns and villages, teaching on his way down to Jerusalem. And someone comes up and says, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Let me rephrase that question in terms of the introduction. Lord, who are in the ultimate inner ring? Who belong on God's inside? Who are the chosen ones? Maybe this guy had been prompted because Jesus had been teaching a fair bit about judgment. Maybe he'd actually just referred to uh, the birds of the air, the Gentiles coming and resting and nesting and being protected within the tree that represented the kingdom of God. And this, this Jewish man was thinking, well, how many people are we going to share with? How many are going to be saved? He asked Jesus. The idea of salvation, we're, we're familiar with it. But what he's asking is how many are going to truly belong? How many are going to be acknowledged and accepted by God? The image this, in this passage is one of sharing a meal in a banquet in heaven. So this idea of reclining in the heavenly banquet is the ultimate picture that Jesus presents in this passage. And someone wants to know who's on the guest list. Who's on the inside? And Jesus doesn't answer. Have you ever noticed that with Jesus? Uh, he would have been the most annoying person, I think. Uh, you ask him a question, he never gives you a straight answer. He never gives you a straight answer. He gives you the best answer. But he never answers the way that you want him to. And this man, he's asked how many are going to be saved. Uh, and what Jesus does is he personalises it. Because how many are going to be saved is academic. It's a debate that the rabbis were having. It's impersonal. And Jesus points out it's built on faulty assumptions. Because what's the guy asking? How many are going to be there with me? This is what Israel thought. The rabbis debated, but none of the rabbis really disagreed that pretty much all Israel, except for a few, were going to be in. They were going to be in that inner ring. And it's just a question of who else? Who else? But Jesus makes it personal. He says in answer to the question, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try and enter and will not be able. Jesus tells us not to make assumptions. Not to assume that we're in and how many others are going to be in with us. Jesus tells us make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Why is the door narrow? Can I say it's not because God is unwilling. It's kind of because we, we aren't wired because of our sin. We aren't wired in a way that lets us walk through that door. A guy called J.C. Ryle, he said this. He said, all things are ready on God's part. Christ is willing to receive sinners, but sinners aren't willing to come to Christ. And hence, few are saved. Jesus tells us to make 
every effort, because the door is narrow. And the word there for every effort is the word that is used of athletes training for the Olympic Games. Okay, so you are there and you are pumping iron. You are stress straining for it. You are focused. You are you are focused on a goal. That's the word. It is a word of extreme exertion. Jesus is saying, uh, to put it in the vernacular, you've got to bust a gut to get in that door. You've got to make it your sole focus. You've got to give everything and then some to get into that door. But if you've been listening to me for the last year and a half and you've been listening to others before me and others alongside me, you might go, but, but Cameron, you keep on telling us it's, we're saved by grace. Where, where does grace fit with this idea of busting a gut to get in the narrow door, to make sure that we are saved if it's all of grace and all of Jesus? Another man by the name of Dallas Willard He coined it perfectly. He said, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace is not opposed to effort. We can be saved by grace, but it doesn't mean that we're complacent. It doesn't mean that we are presumptuous. It doesn't contradict this idea of straining and striving to enter the narrow door. Why is it narrow? Because the default position, Jesus is telling us, is that we are outside. The default position is not in, it's out. And Jesus is saying, we need to enter. Each one of us needs to enter. We are not born in by the right of birth. We're not in because we're part of the right family. We have to get in. The default is out and not in. Brings us to our second point. Jesus continues and he focuses this in and he, he, he ramps it up. See if you can spot it. Once the owner of a house gets up and closes the door... You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, you evildoers. Do you see how Jesus has taken it up a notch? This encouragement to enter has been unpacked with this parable. And all of a sudden, a personal pronoun appears. And what is it? You. Jesus has personalized it again. And where are you? The you in the parable is standing outside. Now, this could be Jesus's preacher's emphasis, you know, hyperbole, overstatement. It could be grimly prophetic. But Jesus is asking this question of everyone who listens to him, then and now. 
Where are you? And I just want to unpack this little parable with four points. Four things I want to stress. Jesus makes it clear that there is only one door. We like the idea that there are lots of doors. It's a very modern idea. Jesus has got his door. Muhammad's got his door. Buddha has got his door. Uh, Take your pick. Add your philosophy. Add your religion. Each got a door. You just got to pick which one you want. But the funny thing is, if you sit down with a devout Muslim and if you ask him or ask her, do you think a Christian is saved according to the Quran? You've got to go Muhammad to Allah. These, these religions exclude. They actually acknowledge that they are not mutually compatible. You can't have multiple doors because all those doors say, no, 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 there is one door. It's our door. And Christianity is not alone in that. It is radically exclusive. There is but one door. There is not all roads that lead to Rome. It's funny, I came across this illustration. It works in everyone's pretty much everyone's house except for mine. Um, You don't have people complaining that there's only one front door to your house. If you don't know, mine actually has two. But anyway, (laughs) it doesn't work in my house, but it probably does in yours. If you're going to get into Jesus' house, you've got to go in the front door. Jesus is plain about that. He is plain about that. The interesting thing about the argument about many doors is the Muslims wouldn't say many doors. The Buddhists wouldn't say many doors. The Christians don't say many doors. But it's the secularist who thinks that they see more clearly than each of those others. They think they see the whole picture, while we only see part. Can you see the arrogance that's implied there? But Jesus makes a claim and he backs it up with his resurrection. There is only one door and it's his door that you want to be knocking on. What other point does he make? He makes that the time is limited. There is going to be a time when the householder is going to stand up and close the door. And after that, you can knock all you want. But there is no entry. The door will be closed. And there's only a handle on the inside. You can't open it from the outside. You can't get in. Jesus makes that plain. The door will be closed. It's now open. But it will be closed. The throne of grace is still there. But one day it will be taken away. And replaced with the throne of judgment. There's one door. Time is limited. Third point, you don't want to be outside. Verse 28, and we'll get down to that a little bit further. uh, Jesus tells us that outside the door, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You don't want to be outside that door. One author that I read this week said, hell is truth accepted too late when it's too late it doesn't matter how clearly you see no one under God's judgment is going to say there's lots of doors now they'll say there was one door and I chose not to go in it and I'm an idiot I'm an idiot there is no plan B there's no option it's like 
Um, one of my favourite TV shows. Let's lighten the mood a little bit. Anyone here like Stranger Things? Okay, there's a few. There's a few. Okay, if you haven't seen it, it's quite, it's quite cool. One of my favourite characters, and he reminds me of someone here at church this morning who I'm not going to name, whose 18th birthday is coming up. That's um, because of the hair, really, isn't it? The hair really does do it there. Um, there's this wonderful scene at the end of episode two with the snowball, okay? And here's Dustin. He's been taking advice from one of the other guys uh, about how to do his hair. If, if you're not familiar with Stranger Things, it's set in the 80s, if you can't tell, okay? He's been taking product advice from Steve, okay? Uh, and he's practising his line. And he goes up and he asks the girl to dance. And she dumps him. And then he goes to the next one. And the next one. And eventually Dustin is sitting on the bleachers crying because all the girls have turned him down. But then, you know, the beautiful Nancy, who's a little bit older, she comes and dances with him. But you know what? There's no Nancy. And there's only one dance partner. And you don't want him to turn you down. That's what Jesus is saying. You don't want to be left outside. And what's our fourth point? Provocatively, perhaps, I would like to suggest that knowing Jesus is not enough. Knowing Jesus is not enough. Then you will say, Jesus tells them, we ate and drank with you signs of sharing fellowship. We had a meal with you, Jesus. And you taught in our streets. We know you. What does Jesus say? I don't know you or where you come from. Depart from me, you evildoers. They plead association. They say, we know you, Jesus. We're mates. We ate with you. We drank with you. You taught us. But what's important is not that you know Jesus, but that he knows you. There's a danger in privilege. Israel had this danger. Jesus walked amongst them. He did the miracles amongst them. He taught amongst them. He actually, at one point, he declares woe upon the cities of Judah. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Chorazin. If the miracles that happened that I did in you happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. They would have turned. They had Jesus. They had the privilege of the prophets speaking God's word to them. They had the law. They had the great history. They assumed that that meant everything was okay. They had every advantage. So do we. We have God's word. We are regularly gathering around it. We know the end of the story. We know that the Lord Jesus goes to the cross. He dies and rises again. We know how this story ends. We have a unique vantage and there is a danger that comes in privilege. They said, we ate with you, we drank with you. What might we be tempted to say? Jesus, I was baptised. I was confirmed. I made public confession. 
I went to church week by week by week. I served on rosters. My theological knowledge, second to none. What might we plead? Because Jesus tells us it's not enough that we say, I know you. He needs to say, I know you. Which brings us to our gracious host. Who's in this party? That's the question we've all been longing for. And Jesus tells us who is in this party. Verse 28. You'll see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the great patriarchs of Israel. These guys were legends. Okay. Were they? Read Genesis. Cowards. Cheats. Liars. Frail, fallible, flawed, immoral, unjust. These guys would not stand up and say, look, at, look how wonderful I am. But Jesus says they're there in the kingdom. And along with them are the prophets who spoke God's word to Israel that Israel rejected again and again and again and again. And they'll be in the kingdom. And who else? Verse 29 tells us people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and they will take their place in the kingdom, the feast in the kingdom of God. They'll be there. Those Gentiles, those people that Israel thought were barely human, were beneath contempt. How few of those. But Jesus is saying, a handful of you and maybe lots of them. That's who's going to be there. They will take their place in the feast. But what does Jesus say? And you yourselves will be thrown out. It's stark. Jesus is saying, you need to make sure. You need to make sure that I know you. This should alarm us. We should be taking the deep breath. This is Jesus on the front foot warning us, warning each one of us that we need to enter through the door that is him. So it's not good enough to know Jesus. If I have to be known by Jesus, how does that happen? Well, Jesus is telling us that outward association is nothing. Jesus, I wore a cross. Now I'm more hardcore than that. I've got a Jesus hat, you know. Means nothing. I was born into the right family means nothing. I was baptized means nothing. I came to church each and every week. It's a good thing to do, but it means nothing. What does it mean to be known by Jesus? Jesus is, is telling us that it's not our outward association. It is our inward reception. Of what? Of him and his work for us. His teaching, his death and his resurrection. He was the one who was despised and rejected, Isaiah tells us. 
so that we might be accepted. He was disowned so that we might be acknowledged. He stood in our place, taking our penalty. It's an inward reception of the promises of God. How was Abraham saved? God made promises to him and Abraham trusted them. How was Jacob and Isaac saved? Exactly the same way. How was every faithful Israelite who was saved, saved? Exactly the same way. How are we going to be saved? God makes promises through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we receive them by faith. He is saying to each of us, I have done everything you need. I have taken that penalty. I have stood in your place. And my perfect performance can be yours so that you can freely enter. You just need to receive it. You need to receive it by repentance and faith. It should shock us. It should cause us to question. Even you maybe have walked with the Lord for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Jesus should cause you to question. Because he's saying, don't presume. Don't presume that it's all okay. Maybe this morning it's an opportunity for you to ask yourself. Because Jesus' offer remains, the door is still open. Have you entered? How would you know? Well, ask yourself, on what does your assurance rest? I know I am inside that house with Jesus because dot, dot, dot. And if it is anything other than I am a sinner and Christ is my saviour, Christ died and rose again so that I might be with him and my faith is in him. If it's anything else, you are on the outside. You are still outside. If you are resting on your performance, your association, anything you have done, or some idea that actually everyone's on the inside. No, Jesus tells us everyone's on the outside. And we need to enter. Well, how do I know? How do I know? I know that in my head. Can I say, as I thought about this and prayed about this, I say this carefully because some of us, we find it really easy to be down on ourselves. Now, I'm probably not talking to you. The person here who's feeling actually pretty comfortable with this, can I say, I am talking to you. If you can say, I'm in, without a deep sense of your unworthiness and without a strong sense of thanksgiving, Possibly you're not. We're not saved by our emotional response. But if you can look at the cross and go, oh yeah. If you can know that Christ died and rose again for you taking your penalty and it doesn't touch you. Maybe you haven't repented. Maybe you like the idea of Jesus. Maybe you like him. You ate with him. You drank with him. You taught in your streets. But does he know you? Are we amazed by grace? 
Because we should be. We should be. I started off by saying, I feel that I'd like to suggest that Christianity is actually the most inclusive religion. Now, we've talked a lot about inside and outside. What difference does it make for those who are of us who know, by God's grace, we are on the inside? Let me tell you how this invitation should transform us. Christianity, I believe, is the most inclusive because Christianity alone, at its heart, is about undeserved favour. It's about grace. So if you are on the inside, you can't say, I'm on the inside because I'm better than them. The people in the soccer team, in the basketball team, could say, I'm standing here in the team and Cameron's over there because I'm a better soccer player or a better basketball player. That, that was probably true. But if I'm a Christian, if I'm one of Jesus' people, I can't look at those people outside and say, I'm in because I'm more moral. I'm a better person. What does the gospel tell us? The gospel tells us that we deserved what Jesus took. And so it should make us radically humble. So we should look outside of these walls. We should look at our not Christian friends, our not Christian families, our not Christian neighbours. And we should love them and accept them and cherish them. Not shying away from telling them that they need Jesus. But not walking around thinking that we're somehow better. Because by God's grace, we have been saved. Galatians 3.28. The Apostle Paul is arguing this very fact against people who want to say, you have to be a Jew. And he says, no. There's neither Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, male nor female. There's no distinctions. If you're in, you're in by grace. If you're in, you're in by grace. And so that should make us the most radically generous, welcoming, loving community that we Accept and welcome all because Christ met each of us. If we are his, where we are, he doesn't leave us there. He didn't bless our sin, but he called us by his grace to turn from it and to accept his free gift. And we can do that with others. We can encourage them to enter in as well. We can come to them. We can pray for them. And we can say to them, dear friend, neighbour, brother, sister, workmate, cousin, the door is narrow, but by God's grace, you can enter it. And with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the prophets, and all those from the north, south, east and west, you can recline in God's acknowledgement, in God's belonging. In God's acceptance. Because Christ has done everything you need. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning. I pray for any here 
who maybe have that sense that they are actually still standing outside the door. Father, show us upon what it is that we stand. If we think we stand by our own doings, our own association. Father, show us just how, how, how faulty, how frail, how flawed that foundation is. Help us to see that we are outside, but that the door is still open and the offer is still there. Father, we ask that we would be a community that is humbled by your grace and empowered by your love that we might share this grace with others. Father, let us not neglect this invitation for us or for others. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.